When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome back to the show. My name is Noel. Our colleague Matt is on adventures, but will be returning soon. They call me Ben. We're joined as always with our super producer, Paul, Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. We're coming in hot on 2023, despite the fact that calendars are arbitrary. Pardon the accidental rhyme. Uh, no... You know, this is this is something that you and Matt and Paul and uh, Doc Holliday and I have talked about at length off air population, you know, for for a lot of people, you know, we can uh, we can start with a kind of microcosmic question. Is it crowded where you live? If you're like most of the people on the planet, the answer is yes. Like right now. Uh, you are in New York City, famously pretty crowded place, right? Yeah, man. You know, it's funny. I actually just started hanging out more in Brooklyn the last handful of years. And I don't know what I was missing. I didn't know what I was missing. It's just so much more chill, if not still somewhat crowded. But the difference between Brooklyn and uh, some of the outer boroughs to to Manhattan is is like night and day. Um, you take the train to Manhattan and all of a sudden it's just like a crush um, and uh, it's not super pleasant all the time, especially in this age of 
paranoia concerning viruses and and other, you know, uh, pandemic related things. Um, People are still sometimes wearing masks, but 90 percent of the time it's kind of not a thing anymore. So I don't know. I heard there was a new variant uh, that was potentially about to sweep through the land. So we'll see how that goes. I don't know. Sometimes population takes care of itself, though, a little bit with these things. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah, yeah. The new variant is, as Will Ferrell would say, and several, as our coworker Will Ferrell would say, and several, uh, several things. Uh, the new variant's so hot right now, and it really is. So be safe out there, folks. As we roll into 2023, Earth's human population, wealthy and poor alike, every imaginable demographic wrestles with a terrifying question, what happens when this planet cannot sustain the amount of people living on it? Is it too late to do anything? Is there someone already working to lower the human population by hook or by crook in secret? So here are the facts look you don't need to be you don't need to be in singapore you don't need to be in brooklyn you don't need to be in bangkok or uh what's another very crowded place mumbai to know that there are just a ton of people on the planet and this has been something that uh we've always thought about in terms of Great corrections. This is a teaser for what's called the Great Reset. But oh, yeah. uh, humanity has gotten big for its britches and gotten its its knuckles wrapped a couple times. Remember those stories that were hitting, like in the midst of COVID, about how the dolphins have returned to the bays, and uh, you know the, the rainforests are, are are starting to regrow themselves and all that. Turns out a bit of hyperbole involved in that kind of reporting. Um, you know the air quality is so much better because. No one's driving anymore because everyone's locked down. Um, you know, things like that maybe over a long enough timeline would maybe happen. But I think there was a good bit of uh, pie in the sky reporting there. But, uh, you know, what I mentioned earlier is the idea of the population kind of taking care of itself. That goes back, 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 you know, to the beginning of time. Um, these corrections have occurred. But let's start with uh, something you may have heard of, a little thing called the Black Death or the Bubonic Plague, a pandemic that absolutely ravaged. Uh, Western Eurasia and North Africa uh, in multiple ways from 1346 to 1353. It was an absolute nightmare. Yeah, yeah. It's horrific. Honestly, this one event remains the most fatal pandemic in all of recorded human history. We're talking big numbers. Somewhere between 75 to 200 million people died. That's 30 to 60 percent of literally everyone in Europe and about 30% of people in the Middle East. This single disease, this single thing carried by fleas on, on rodents fundamentally altered the course of civilization. Humanity took it on the chin, but the weird news is, and it looked like very positive news for a few centuries after the human population has been growing leaps and bounds Ever since, it's the hottest thing. Yeah, sometimes you got to trim back the hedge to encourage new growth, right? There it is. Maybe, I don't know. And man, you got to imagine a lot of these folks that lived through that period, COVID schmovid, they would say. So you call that a pandemic? 
this is a pandemic, you know, sorry, it's a <laughs> Crocodile Dundee reference. Um, but you're right, you know, the, there has been massive uh, growth in the human population ever since, for better or for worse. Things really started to take off around uh, 1950 to 1986. Population pretty much doubled from 2.5, actually doubled from 2.5 to 5 billion people in just under 40 years. Uh, and this wasn't due to mutations, you know, things that would cause folks to be maybe more resilient or resistant to, say, disease. Uh, everyone was still working with the same exact biological hardware. Uh, instead, there were breakthroughs in things like agriculture, which allowed people to be more nourished, medicine, which allowed people to fight off said uh, diseases or infections, uh, allowed them to actually live longer. We know that in, you know, the age of the, the bubonic plague, Life expectancy was already pretty bad, you know, in terms of it was low, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, for most of human history, you could get any number of diseases that would spell death for you in a matter of weeks, months, years, maybe. But now, just like you said, it's not that people are reproducing more often. Everybody is always still trying to have some amorous moments. It's that people are less likely to die the way they would have in the past. And that's why as of November 15th, 2022, the global population of human beings on the planet Earth hit 8 billion. It is above 8 billion now. So uh, I suggest, Noel, Mission Control, that we check the current world population. It is 8 billion. 9,597,000 and going back and forth between 920 and 921 as we record this. What does this fluctuation indicate? Is like births and deaths, deaths in this yeah, exact just moment? So. Yeah, I love mm -hmm. that. Just Very so. cool. Very cool website. You know, this, this immediately makes me think of, of course, the Georgia Guidestones, which is with its mm -hmm. call to maintain humanity at 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. Uh, and, and, you know, we know one of the controversies around that thing uh, is that without the correct context, perhaps, well, correct might not even be the right word, without whatever context you choose to give it, um, this could potentially look like a call to, uh, to call a massive portion of the population, you know, to bring about some sort of plague level or, you know, population, dramatic population reducing event to get to 500 million from 8 billion How's that going to happen? But then, of course, the other interpretation is that it's more like in the event that there were some the stand level, you know, pandemic, uh, maybe we think a little smarter about how many people, you know, we allow to come into the world. But even that comes with it some issues. Who do we allow to reproduce? Who right. do we forbid to reproduce? Mm -hmm. It is a human whether you say right or not, it's a biological process that humans are capable of doing. So you are literally kind of telling people what to do with their bodies at a certain point. And people don't like that. No, no. People don't like being told what to do with their bodies, especially when you get to this thing um, where where you're talking about overpopulation. That's, that's today's episode. Then what you see is that a lot of people will agree in the abstract. There shall be fewer people. Yes. There should be. But uh, not, I not should I'm good. be. I'm good. Yeah, but I'm fine. <laughs> Don't put me on the, on the uh, blacklist. So 
It's no surprise that a lot of people have historically had a problem with the idea of the human population. For not centuries, millennia, scientists, philosophers, and usually cartoonishly wealthy people have said, well, how many people is too many? What should be done about that? It goes so far back. Confucius noted the danger of population increases as early as the 5th century BCE. Our boys Plato and Aristotle also talked about this, and they were some of the first ones in the Western world to nail the um, to nail the potential danger between the amount of people who need resources and the amount of resources that exist. That's right. And you found this fabulous quote from a, a philosopher from Carthage from the second century CE, uh, a fellow I wasn't familiar with, Tertullian, um, who had a very pithy little hot take on this whole quandary we're talking about here. Uh, I'll give that to you right now. Um our numbers are burdensome to the world, which can hardly support us. In very deed, pestilence and famine and wars and earthquakes have to be regarded as a remedy for nations, as the means of pruning the luxuriance of the human race. Wow, Ben, that is a gem. Mm. I mean, it's everything that we've been talking about, you know, kind of writ large, you know? Mm. Yeah, but he also is putting it in pretty blunt terms, 100%. as he noted. No, he's saying, he's saying, look, okay, things are sad. You know, war is terrible, famine, silver pestilence. Lining it, you know, but yeah. He, he's silver lining for the survivors, at least. 100%. Then, yeah, we fast forward a few centuries. We got to introduce uh, one of the most infamous guys in this conversation, Thomas Malthus. In 1798, he writes this thing he calls an essay on the principle of population. And, you know, no, he argues that humanity is... I don't know. It's not quite a Ponzi scheme, but he's talking about exponential growth. And he says that the problem is all things being equal, humanity can reproduce at this enormous scale, but resources cannot grow at the same frequency. You'll still have the same amount of water in the system, right? The same ability to grow food. And so he says, no matter what happens, no matter what you believe, there is a breaking point. There is a systemic flaw. More and more people will produce more and more people and the mass of people will struggle to survive off these dwindling resources until they die. And this is something that you do see in uh, non-human populations. One of the biggest arguments for hunting certain animals like deer uh, or rabbits is that <laughs> wascally rabbits is that if they if their populations are not called, they will eventually die slower deaths due to starvation. And it also has to do with like the their habitat. You know, and, and making sure that they're not over overly consuming, you know, the parts of the habitat that would could potentially cause problems with with growth, you know. And that's why uh, fish and game, you know, departments or, or wildlife, whatever, uh, have seasons for hunting certain animals because it's all kind of mapped to a cycle, you know, to make sure that everything uh, is in its right place in its right time. Yeah. And. If we want to be very crude about what oh, we do, 
<laughs> what Malthus is saying and what Malthusians, his followers, are saying. Can I just say Malthusian, that word, I love it. It just sounds villainous, doesn't it? It sounds yeah. a little villainous. It sounds like a, uh, an evil uh, an evil group in the Star Trek universe. But Malthusians are essentially arguing that if n- literally nothing else goes wrong, humanity is still going to get raw-dogged by the math. That's just exact. And that's put very bluntly. But for a time, this was just for quite a long time. This was a frightening conversation that the powerful people of the world would have with each other. Right. Think about it. To know about this and to speak about this, you would have to be able to be literate. One, which a lot of people are not. You would also have to have the luxury of sitting around and digesting abstract concepts in your free time. As a result, these powerful classes usually took this argument as a way to rationalize further oppression of people less powerful than them. But something changed in the West in the 1960s. We're still fast-forwarding centuries. There's a guy named uh, Professor Paul R. Ehrlich. And he writes a book in 1968 called The Population Bomb. His predictions are a kind of neo-Malthusian thing. He says there's going to be mass starvation, environmental catastrophe, civilization, as you, dear reader, know it, will plummet, just like the Stephen King book, The Stand. And interestingly enough, in the original publication of the book, Old Doc Ehrlich predicts this happening in the 1970s. Later predictions, later editions of the book would move that up a decade to the 1980s. But this created a genre of conspiracy, not just one, but many. It continues today. And the question all boils down to this. Is there some cabal of the world's most powerful people working in secret to murder Billions of human beings in the name of some greater good. Heavy stuff, deep water. I think we should pause for a word from our sponsor. Mm-hmm. For the cause indeed. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's where it gets crazy. Well, no, sort what of. do you think? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, look, these these kinds of things are always able to be hyperbolized to the nth degree. You know, um, we do know real horrific tales of uh, of forced sterilization programs. Um, you know, the idea of, of picking out uh, people that are, so, you know, feeble minded, I think, was one of the terms. Oh, there's this whole, you know, just cache of offensive, dated, bizarre terms used in these in this era to refer to people that were seen as less than mm, and it's yeah. much closer to our current timeline that we live in than many people realize or would like to believe you're talking about india right yeah but even in the united states you know, mm-hmm. I mean, there, there, there were like the idea of people being slow or, you know, um, there were there were forced sterilization programs. Yeah, exactly. In India, for instance, 6.2 million male residents of India were forcibly sterilized in 1975, just one year. And this happened multiple years. And then to to your point, between 1907 and 1963, something like 64,000 people that we know of were sterilized in the United States, which really, you know, the Nazis in World War II uh, took eugenics to the era of genocides, but they learned it from the United States in a very real way, which history textbooks ignored. Uh, And then, you know, like to your point about how recent this is and ongoing, think about the Uyghurs in Western China. Think about, uh, or, you know, the forced assimilation uh, where they have to marry Han Chinese. Uh, Think about not just the culture erasure, but think about that government's one-child policy. The consequences are coming to bear even now. Yeah, I mean, it really is its own. I mean, look, let's just call it what it is. It's ethnic cleansing. 
mm-hmm. you know, in the same way that, that what the Nazis were doing was just a much more uh, overt and brazen form of ethnic cleansing. You know, the idea of culling um, a, an entire population due to racial connections seen to be less than or potentially a threat to some sort of agenda, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in all of these examples that we've named across the world, uh, Peru also practiced uh, forced sterilization. In all of these examples, what we see are power structures attempting to address some perceived problem by stopping the creation of new human beings rather than outright systemized murder. But that definitely occurred as well throughout history. You know, you see horror shows like pilgrims, things like the Holocaust, genocides in Rwanda and Armenia. In those cases, in those mass murder cases, overpopulation is just one of like a a mixtape of rationalizations people in power use to justify their monstrous deeds. And what we get from all of this is one undeniable fact conspiracies about overpopulation and and population control, they don't generate in a vacuum. They came from real world events or are based on. Oh, 100%. I I do just want to add, um, you know, we're talking about feeble-mindedness, this idea. It was a way of um, turning people into subhumans, you know, conceptually. Um, There was a uh, a Canadian physician and eugenicist named Helen McMurchie, or McMurkey, who issued these reports on feeble-mindedness between 1907 and 1918 and published a study in 1920 called The Almosts, a study of feeble-minded Uh, a study of the feeble-minded. And the idea was that feeble-mindedness was this really dangerous high class of mental defectiveness. Uh, People that could, on first glance, pass as normal, but were therefore an even greater threat to society and had to be stopped. Uh, Every mental defective is a potential criminal, she wrote. Yes. This is, again, 1900s, early, early 1900s. It's so it's so recent and it's it's continued, right? It continues in some way today. Also, we uh, we would be remiss if we didn't note that a lot of these programs, uh, a lot of this banality of evil to quote Hannah Arendt are uh, they're based in preconceptions or prejudices about what the people in power considered race, right, Uh, about what they considered uh, class, you know, there's there's never been a wide scale program to eliminate the wealthy. Uh, you know, there have been revolutions, but those were revolutions that were meant to overthrow a system, not to prevent overpopulation. Mm-hmm. And, Eat the rich, <laughs> baby. That's more of like a slogan than a real thing that happens. You know what I mean? Right. The rich are usually uh, pretty well insulated. You know what I mean? Yeah, and probably don't taste great now that I think about it. Stringy. Just, well, some yeah. of them are pretty, you know, fat cats. They might some, have some. Yeah, might have a know. good haunch. Perhaps. Who's who's the Wagyu? Who's the Wagyu of the billionaire class? Who who is the one that would be the most tasty? Let us know. Elon Musk <laughs> is obviously the prized cow of the billionaire class. I think that so. is not fat shaming at all. I'm just saying he's, you know, he's he's. I don't know. He he seems like he'd be tasty. I wonder what he tastes like. Yeah. Uh, So (laughs) there are these real world examples. So it's not a big leap to imagine that 
people in power today, power structures today might have the motivation as well as the means to put something even bigger into play. With that, we're going to walk through some of the uh, more prevalent conspiracy theories, and then we're going to end at a twist that might surprise some folks. We got to talk about Agenda 2030. Agenda 2030, population control. It's a big one, man. It's recent. Turns out a surprising number of people believe that Bill Gates, the co-creators of Microsoft, is on a mission to wipe out the human species through forced injections disguised as vaccines uh, that will block fertility, control the mind, and... uh, tag everybody with microchips and and poison them with various uh, long-acting substances. Uh, This is something we talk about in our our recent book that came out last year. Correct. Some folks even believe that the COVID-19 pandemic was, in fact, uh, deliberately engineered by Mr. Bill Gates. Or, or his foundation. They definitely have a lot of initiatives and experience uh, involving uh, infectious disease. But it's, you know, largely the prevention of such. And uh, there is, uh, I think, a TED Talk that, that Gates did where he sort of talks about the fact that we, are, as a country, were not prepared for something like what happened with COVID-19. And he was right. So it's almost like, you know, that retro, I guess, proactive, I told you so, uh, caused some people to maybe create this scenario where in, wherein Bill Gates was giving us a taste of our own medicine or whatever, doing it to just, you know, in, in, enrich the rich further. I think it's, it's nonsense. Um, but that's yeah. just me. Well, there's, uh, you know, you could see where people would think about that, right? Like most people in the world have never met Bill Gates. Actually, most people have never met most people. That's just the math. Uh, And also, it is not as if Bill Gates or people in Bill Gates' class financially have ever gone hungry, right? Have ever gone without some basic resource. This is the idea of the Great Reset. And the belief in this concept is pretty widespread, at least in the United States. There was this poll back in 2020 that found about one-fifth of people in the United States believed that Bill Gates and billionaires were purposely trying to kill the poor. And the weird thing is, Gates in specific has spoken multiple times on record at length about ways to reduce the population. He has never said, let's kill a few billion people, you know, the types people won't miss. But uh, he, like many others, has put a lot of time and effort into thinking through ways to reduce the rate of not the current population, but population growth, a.k.a. getting people to have fewer children, basically. And uh, there's a, we pulled a quote from a place called popmatters.org that talks about their approach, which again is not kill all the poor, but it is definitely get the poor to have fewer children. I mean, right. And, and, and the whole the poor idea of that is, is debatable, perhaps. It's, 
that's the part that kind of gets turned into sort of like a, an axe to grind against these Richies and their foundation, you know, but like, here's sort of their, their position, right? The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has long supported reproductive health and rights in developing countries, including family planning services. The foundation has also pledged billions in support of vaccination programs. Bill Gates has publicly spoken out about the benefits of slowing population growth through improved health care several times. For example, in a 2010 TED Talk on ways to reduce climate emissions, the wealthy entrepreneur acknowledged the population factor and stated we could reduce this if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services. Because let's also just point out, some people aren't having kids like on purpose. Mm-hmm. They just don't have access to contraception. They don't have access to birth control. Uh, perhaps there are religious reasons behind. I mean, you know, I mean, there's a Mainly the first things, but, you know, the idea that every time you have intercourse, you have to have, you know, a potential baby is a religious uh, kind of tenant, you know, for certain old school Catholics, for example. You know, uh, I don't know that they're necessarily the problem here, but there really is an issue in other countries that, that maybe don't have the same kind of health care that we have, which sucks, by the way, in this country and access oh, to yeah. it. Uh, but it, can you imagine it being even worse and with even less access? That's a big part of the problem. So I don't I don't look at this as like him saying poor people stop having children. It's like, let us help you get in a situation where you can like have sex for fun. Well, yeah, there's the other thing here. There's tremendous social pressure uh, on people who can have children to have them, right? It's like it's supposed to be a part of your identity. It's also um, it, it's also something where you would say, well, this person is telling me not to have kids, but they're having kids. So why is this a do what I say, not what I do situation? That's inherently unfair. Uh, then, And that's a good point. And then there's also the point that there is a clear correlation between increasing women's rights and access to education and decreasing the amount of children a household will have in countries where those opportunities are present. But for a lot of us listening along at home, it might sound weird to hear vaccines put in that argument, in that conspiracy. I was wondering about that. Yeah. I wanted to see if you could shed a little light on that. I get it, sort of, but also it's a little bit of a head scratcher. So here's the idea, right? Of course, it, so- it sounds weird at first. Don't vaccines save lives if they work the way they are supposed to work? Billy's logic, we can call him Billy for this, uh, is, is, <laughs> is the following. Old Billy G says that improving access to vaccines, one, reduces child mortality. And then research suggests that if more children are living to adulthood, then their parents are going to have fewer children. Because, you know, if you know that the 2.1 you have are all going to make it, then you don't need to have 3.4 as a margin of error or something. Uh, and this this, uh, this is basically arguing that if you don't have to worry about losing your kids to preventable diseases, then you don't feel like you need to have more of them. You can read a, a letter that Gates wrote in 2014 where he makes this argument and it's just a little it could seem a little roundabout for some folks you don't have to agree to the logic but uh a lot of people a lot of experts and folks in the world of academia and social science have found this to be the case i just it yeah i, I hmm 
I'm just trying to put myself in the position of someone who loses a child mm-hmm. and is the immediate impulse to have another one to replace it. I know you wouldn't think about it like that. That's that's very callous. You wouldn't certainly be like, I have to replace my 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 child who who, who I've lost, who we've lost. But right. just, it's not just, a houseplant. No, it's not. I just feel like I feel like some people would maybe not want to do that. I feel like the the, the reaction would maybe be the opposite, that they don't ever want to have to grieve like that again. Right. Yeah. Agreed. And, and aggrieved. Uh, so what, what we see is that for a lot of observers, this might feel like a bait and switch. And that's why you find a lot of people, especially folks who are against reproductive rights for women. Uh, you'll see a lot of people say this idea of reproductive health services is just a sneaky way to promote abortions. But, you know, again, if, if you look at any, any credible study, what you will find is that improving access to Planned Parenthood, to prophylactics, which is the fancy name for stuff like condoms, if you improve access to that, you're actually going to see fewer abortions occur because when women are empowered to use contraception, their risk of unwanted pregnancy is hugely reduced, which leads to a bigger question. If you are, if you consider yourself, this might ruffle some feathers and I have no problem with that. If you consider yourself pro-life, right, then how, how long are you pro-life? Because one of the issues, one of the intellectual fallacies that's occurring in some situations is you'll see people in power uh, banning abortions, banning contraception, but then not continuing to be pro-life when that child enters into early education or when that child needs basic things, right? So if someone makes a pro-life argument, then the natural logical conclusion is that they should continue to be pro-life. You should be supportive of that child when that child needs food, medicine, water, and shelter all the way to the end of their lives. And unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be the case in a lot of places. 100%. Um, just to add a little levity here, I saw a really funny meme with uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict, who passed away recently at the age of 95, and it said, says he's pro-life and then dies. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah, I think that that format's been used before, but it, it always gives me a little chuckle in the face of a very serious, you know, mm-hmm. conversation and uh, and and debate. Um, I just think the term pro-life is so loaded because we also know that, you know, when when folks, especially with all these no um, rigidness toward incest and, and rape victims and all of that stuff, that part is, you know. Absolutely. Uh, mind mind boggling how they won't, you know, make those concessions. Uh, it's such an agenda. It, it really blows my mind. But um, the idea that when, you know, you are forced to carry every pregnancy to term no matter what, because um, it's, you know, God's beautiful child or whatever. Um, but then we're, we're done with you at that point. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, we, we yeah, we're going to make you have this baby. Um, you're a criminal if you do anything to prevent it. But then we're not going to help your baby uh, get education. We're not going to help you with, with health care, you know, to make sure that baby is nourished and, and, and fed well or, or you the mother. Um, so it really is just kind of this 
agenda that that really is very callous and very self-serving for a particular political bent, you know? At least at the very least, the numbers show that it's either short-sighted or purposely misleading. And these are just the facts here. Uh, they are crazy facts, but they are true. Uh, the thing is, if regardless of where you find yourself on that debate, the thing is, if you don't trust billionaires in general, and honestly, not trusting billionaires is the only logical stance to take, uh, you're, you're going to be skeptical about their proposed solutions, and you're going to say, hey, you're probably pitching something that works for you, but what about everybody else? If you don't trust Billy G in particular, you can easily see how the, these proposals sound like smoke and mirrors, a little bit of a Trojan horse of PR spin hiding something dangerous beneath. And the weirdest thing about it, man, Agenda 2030 is a real thing. It's not, it's not just some made-up stuff on Reddit. It's a genuine thing from the United Nations. Yeah, the United Nations uh, launched this initiative in 2015 to solve um, hunger crisis, the hunger crisis plaguing the, the world, plaguing humanity. Um, the idea is to hopefully get rid of hunger by 2030, um, in addition to things like gender inequality uh, and poverty um, and also halting climate change and biodiversity loss is, 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 is built in there. So these are all kind of points on this this uh, multi-part kind of agenda, uh, but ending hunger is, is a big one. Um, the idea is to get this done through 17 sustainable development goals. AKA things that sound great on paper. So great. <laughs> so they're so tight, We're man. We're so stoked about these, so these points. Yeah. These sustainable <laughs> development goals. Mm -hmm. And we have acronyms and everything. So, this also isn't the first version of that from our buddies at the UN. An earlier version was called Agenda 2021, <laughs> which came about in 1992. Yeah, how we do there? Uh, pretty, you know, pretty good. We fixed the world. We're good. Well, good hustle, we could say. Uh, nice idea. You know what? It looked great on paper too, and so. And I think you know we already know the answer to that question because of Agenda 2030. You know, it's like <laughs> just, it's called kicking the can down the yeah. road, you know, with these big agendas, these big, you know, resolutions that ultimately, I mean, I, they're well-meaning, but ultimately toothless because we know the United Nations doesn't really have any enforcement power, you know, uh, in the global, in the world of global politics or global policy. So what can they really do besides gift wrap these delightful, you know, kind of wish fulfillment kind of things, you know? Mm -hmm. And their their intentions are likely good, you know. They're they're not seeing themselves as super villains of one sort or another. Agenda, oh, quite the opposite. I think they see right. themselves as like the Justice League superheroes. Yeah, yeah. assembled, yeah. you know, in their in their uh, what is it the the solitude of a fortress of solid whatever the, the, their their mm -hmm. like headquarters is called the Hall of the Justice. There League, you go. Right? Thank yeah. you. Yeah, and and the agenda twenty twenty one says the following, the growth of world population and production combined with unsustainable consumption practices, pointing out the resource problem, places increasingly severe stress on the life-supporting capacities of our planet. But Agenda 2021 doesn't propose population control action. 
And still, like at this point, we got to go back to the author of The Population Bomb we mentioned earlier, Professor Paul Ehrlich. He has spoken at length about the relationship between population numbers and the amount of resources available for people to consume. This the is real- math. This is this like, is math. Yeah. 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 Lay it out for us. Oh, I'm just saying like this is not uh, imaginary. You know, there there are finite amounts of of, of physical things that mm. are consumable. Um, so according to him, the optimum population of Earth that would guarantee the very bare minimum of, of these ingredients that would lead to living a decent life. Again, that's sort of in quotation fingers um, to everyone. Uh, with some amount of equality, was 1.5 to 2 billion people rather than the, you know, 7 billion or more than 7 billion who are alive today or the 9 billion that we're expected to see uh, by 2050. Mm -hmm. Um, He had a a, a very candid conversation with The Guardian in 2012 where he actually did propose something of of a solution, not killing the poor, as as we've you know heard, uh, kind of that's the boogeyman in this great sort of conspiracy Mitchell and Webb sketch. Exactly, about it. yeah. <laughs> uh, um, instead, he he had this to say. Ben, do you want to you want to give it to us? I think sure. It's, yeah, yeah. Here he's going to the problem of consumption. He says we have too much consumption among the rich and too little among the poor. We're going to have to somehow redistribute access to resources away from the rich. To the poor. Oh, Ben, that sounds like communism. Though, Socialism. But, people yeah, hate yeah. to hear it. Yeah. Don't like oh, that one. No. Nah, move on. Next, next option. No, let's no, go. No, no, no. Yeah, no. right. Exactly. <laughs> let's go back to let's kill the left-handers. <laughs> yes. And exactly. then someone's like, "Sir, that's only ten percent of the population." What was that? Kill the poor option again? Yeah. yeah. What was that? <laughs> let's explore uh, that. Do check out that Mitchell and Webb sketch. Kill the poor. But the um, he's raising a good point. Regard. Look. Most people don't agree with Ehrlich, by the way, but he's raising a good point when we talk about consumption. So if you have paid attention to this problem, folks, then you realize that the places in the world where population is growing at the at the fastest rate, there are also places that are relatively impoverished, like Nigeria, for instance, uh, or parts of India. And those populations are growing, but per person, they're already consuming much less than an individual in a developed country. So if the problem is consumption rather than uh, procreation, then you have to ask serious questions about consumption, which is what this guy is doing, and people don't want to hear it. Again, it's the same old problem, like, yes, this is good and abstract until it affects me. Uh, He also says... He also says, again, uh, this is this guy, not us. He says the U.S. trend is strongly moving in uh, in a redistribution model, but it's redistrib it's taking yeah, the wrong value direction. from the poor, yeah. right, from the ninety percent and giving more to the ten percent. But that's just capitalism, isn't it? You know, I mean, that's just how it works. There's no checks and balances on capitalism, and I'm not trying to sound like that soapboxy guy, but I really do feel like you know that is the biggest issue in our country, anyway. Is that there's there is no you know way of keeping that in balance. There's nothing in place, no system in place. You know, if, if you, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, whatever, that's bull****. 
But I mean, if you, you know, become a giant gazillionaire, why shouldn't you be able to have all that and do with it what you will? And you shouldn't be required to give any of it back. And in fact, maybe we won't even make you pay taxes because we're just so grateful to you for your, you know, contribution to the economy that we'll just give you a pass. And it's okay. The poor people will take care of that, you know? Well, yeah, it's like, it's a, it's a similar question to saying, uh, well, if I can buy a tiger, why can't I eat the tiger? It's my tiger. You know what I mean? And consequences, consequences be damned. But with all this that we've given you about this conspiracy, we do have to give you one twist that we'll end on. We'll be back in a second and uh, it might surprise you. It surprised me. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Um, I, I don't know, Ben. It, it doesn't exactly surprise me the you, 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 the the twist you alluded to, because we sort of alluded to it a little bit at the top. The idea of kind of course correction, you know, not not necessarily needing to be meted out by some unseen conspirator or, you know, a cabal or whatever. Um, the idea that perhaps the population might actually take care of itself and be declining on its very own. 
Yeah, sorry, Malthusians. Starting back in the 1800s in Britain and reaching most of the world by the end of the 1900s or so, birth rates actually plummeted overall, most notably due to uh, greater access to education, greater access to contraception, not draconian laws about population. It's known, it's proven that in wealthy societies where women have opportunities outside of traditional uh, home requirements, right? The average family size is small. It's below what's called replacement level, which means that on average, you got two parents. If they get together, they have kids, but they have less than two kids. Over time, over decades, the population shrinks. This is called the demographic transition. And there's a lot of debate still about how this all is going to play out. Researchers are going to disagree on whether global populations are actually on track to decline. And they they disagree for some notable and honestly very valid reasons. First off, it's very difficult to have a, a exact estimate of how many people are living and dying because country some countries can't report it very well. And it's even more difficult to prognosticate the trends. But in terms of the overpopulation fears from centuries back, we can look at this in terms of four phases. There's Malthusianism, too many people. The world is doomed, the end is nigh. There's eugenics, let's be racist or let's be discriminatory and cut out the parts of the the human hedge that we don't like. There's the population bomb, it's too late, everything's doomed. And now there's the current stage, reproductive rights. And when we talk about for now, that's where we ended because nobody outside of um, a few scientists can reasonably predict the future. So we can say good news. We're going to say good news and then we're going to ruin it. Uh, for now, the world's kind produ- of our thing. <laughs> right? There it is. Right, right. So for now, the world's producing more food than it ever has. But for also now, probably wasting more food than it ever has. I mean, also true. Yeah. I mean, also true. That, that, I, there's nothing that g- grinds me up more than seeing like food waste, you know, and, and then also places that like for, for forbid dumpster diving. Yeah. Like put locks on their dumpsters and they're throwing away like perfectly edible, you know, pastries or donuts or I've even seen catering, big catering trays, you know, those big, uh, you know, um, aluminum ones just dumped on the street, trashed, you know, mm-hmm. or really, like the really uh, makes me sad. Or like the times I I got detained for trying to give away food. Correct. Uh, Yeah. So for now, we can also say the population of multiple developed countries is in decline. We can also say for now, access to education and reproductive rights seem to reliably reduce population growth. But there's the thing, Noel. This is all just the case for now. Because there's another villain on the horizon. Arable land is becoming less reliable due to widespread pollution, due to climate change, things that the ordinary individual cannot fix within their lifetime. Uh, There's less access to potable water. The next world war may honestly be about climate and water access. We've talked about that numerous times, you know, like the mad maxification of the Mm, world, you know, and I don't know that we're going to necessarily see that hit its peak 
in our lifetime, though we can sure see the writing on the wall, even with water disputes, you know, uh, along borders mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and you know, certain municipalities maybe taking more than their share or diverting resources, things like that. These are real problems. And that is a thing that you need. And if, if people are deprived of what they need and they see someone depriving them of it, they're going to kill those people. Yeah. And take it. And they have. And we can't be uh, collectively putting our heads in the sand on this. There are very difficult choices ahead. There are turning points. And you can't, you know, even if you think someone sounds like a kook for talking about overpopulation conspiracies, you can't dismiss those fears. If you are being truly rational and skeptical, then you have to understand there's some salt to the idea there there is a a solid logical grounding for the concern that the wealthy of the world may do something drastic there are right now multiple groups trying to address population growth through non-sinister means positive stuff but the question is what happens when we're no longer in this for now situation what kind of approaches would these powerful groups consider if we get past the um, don't panic stage and into a world where brutal solutions seem increasingly viable. It's heavy stuff to think about. And that's where we need your help. What do you think? Let us know. We hope you're having a great time in 2023. And you know what? We hope you're having a great time in 3033. But this is an episode we'll have to revisit. And let's not forget, you know, take stock. Yeah, things are scary. And there's, you know, impending doom <laughs> at all times. But there always has been. And did you have a good year personally? You know, maybe you you hit some personal milestones or you had like a creative spurt or whatever it might be. I mean, everything's all relative. So it's like I think it's important. We certainly have to take this advice ourselves not to get caught up in the negative and sure, be aware of it and, and, and try to do what you can to not be part of the problem. But also like. Life can still be good, even when there are scary things on the horizon. Just just to put that out there, not to talk down or, or, or man, mansplain life to anybody, but I just I try personally to, to keep that balance as best I can. And I, I had a good year, all in all, despite all the crazy things that happened and crazy things personally that happened, you know? Mm, yeah, the world is ending for someone, somewhere, every day. And, you know, collectively, we can do our best to make the world a little less terrible for ourselves and everyone around us. We want to hear your thoughts, folks. Any This conversation touches on a lot of things. So uh, come in hot. Come in punchy. It's 2023, right? So let us know. Find us on Instagram. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok. All the hits, all the good ones, all that slow jazz. And if you don't sip the social meads, why not give us a phone call? Correct. You can reach us at one eight three three S T D W Y T K on your rotary phone or your, you know, uh, whatever ones with the buttons that light up. Maybe you got one of those Garfield phones. That'd be cool. Um, call us up. You can leave a message. You got three minutes. Tell us a tale. Try to keep it to that one message if you can. And if you got more to say, then it'll fit in a three minute audio missive. Why? You can send us a good old fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com.
Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com.